Episode of Money Lab. I'm your host, Matt B. To wanna be Jivanisi. And we have a very special guest on the show today. Joining me is the founder of collegeinfogeek.com and the co-host of the College Info Geek podcast and YouTuber extraordinaire, Thomas Frank. Man, you can almost do the same kind of intro that you do for Andrew for me. Yep. We we have (laughs) you guys have similar uh things that you do. Except YouTube. And I used to be the co-host of Listen Money Matters podcast. That. We had that I had that in there, but I figured, yeah. Co-host it's been a while. Of, it's been a while. It's it's not um, something that uh it needs to be said in an introduction, I think. Any well, if not for what people want to go and find you, do you want them to go to your YouTube channel? I'm yes. assuming. But yeah, right? I guess if you want to hear me blather on about money, you could scroll back. But you like, what, but you blather episodes? on about money at like in on your YouTube channel. A little bit. A little bit. I, I probably should do more. And, and actually, uh, I, I know I should do more personal finance content, and I plan to. But yeah, right now I'm kind of focused on uh, productivity and stuff. Yep. Um. So thanks for being here. Yeah. How is the third time you've been on? It's probably the third or like fifteenth. And 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 I think the last two times you were actually here, but we're not here. The first episode of this podcast, you I was here. in your office. Yes. And we tried to film it, and the camera shut off. Halfway through, because thanks European tariffs. Is that what that is? That why? Yeah. So if a camera um, is able to record for more than thirty minutes in the European Union, it is classified a video device instead of a camera, and the import tariff is higher. So most really? camera companies, other than Panasonic on the GH5, which is pretty cool, will put this artificial limit on their cameras. Um, and then I some it was other just for overheating, like Sony. Yeah, have classically had overheating issues with their mirrorless uh, cameras too. But it. the main reason for that twenty-nine minute limit is uh, to get around those tariffs, and also a lot of people will say it's uh, to kind of force people to have to go up to those higher-end cinema cameras if they mm-hmm. want both the ability to record as long as they want and the ability to have interchangeable lenses and you know better photo cap- capabilities and all that. Right, because oh, you can man. buy a cheap camcorder. For yeah. 500 bucks, but sure. it just the footage doesn't look that good. Yeah, we had a uh uh Canon X1 X10 mm. A. Mm-hmm. And it was it was two grand, but it was like the base model of the professional versions of camcorders. Yeah. So and it just you don't get the bokeh, you just get it's like, it's just really a nice don't. camcorder. It it gives you a serviceable image. You can yeah. see anything you need to see. Yep. Yeah, on our podcast, when we switched over to a three camera setup, I went out mm-hmm. and I bought three uh, $1,000 Vixia camcorders. And I mean, really? they've served us well. But now you're not doing three camera shoots for the podcast, right? Yeah. So we had a, Anna and I had a talk because, you know, the guy who wrote uh, Debt the first 5,000 years? No. Nope. His name is David Graber. He's like an anthropologist. And mm-hmm. so he came up with a new, uh, new book called Bullshit Jobs. And it's just like a whole book about people who work in jobs that don't actually produce any amount of like tangible economic value. Yeah. It's just like, it's a product of inefficiencies. And I was like, all right, Anna, let's sit down and ask ourselves, what are the bullshit jobs in college info geek? And, uh, the first one we came up with was she was sitting there for about one and a half times the runtime of any episode switching camera angles. And I'm like, let's do an experiment. 
post an a next episode with just the center angle that has both me and Martin in it. Yeah. And people liked it better. Did you ask? Like, uh, I did not ask. There were just comments were like, hey, I like this better because I can actually see the reactions of the person who isn't talking. Oh, interesting. Like, oh, all right. So now instead of three cameras, we run two. Uh, we run the center angle for the entire episode's content. And then we run one on my face just for the ads because I deliver the ads to the audience instead of right. to Martin. Be kind well, of weird. Hey, Martin, did you know that on Skillshare <laughs> you can get 29000 <laughs> You're like, yes, I did know that. Thomas, thank you for telling me. <laughs> thank you for telling me again, like you yeah. have every week. And, and, and he's like, <laughs> thank you for telling me. Smile and turn left. Oh, uh, I wasn't supposed to say that. But um, exactly. what other bull? I mean, now I'm curious. What other, bullsh- what, other, what other bullshit <laughs> jobs? <laughs> Laugh now. Everybody dance now. Uh, what? What? Uh, what other bullshit jobs did you come up with? Did you do you remember? I would have to think about it. I think uh-huh. we've been pretty decent at having like regular uh, periods at which we think about what we're doing and if we could do it more efficiently. So, yeah. um, th- you know, it wasn't this conversation, but at one point I got the Gary V bug and I was like, I'm going to respond to every single Instagram DM <laughs> I get. And I would spend like an hour a day. Yeah. Just I had a Bluetooth keyboard so I could type on my iPhone. And then at one point I like installed some crazy weird, probably malware ridden app on my Mac to like bring up a fake Instagram browser on my computer so I could type on that Mm because I was trying to respond to every DM. And I was like, I'm not actually making good content. I'm not doing research. I'm not being creative. I'm not putting out good content to the world. I'm just like sending people peach emojis in Instagram right. DMs so they can right. think I'm like a cool influencer online person who actually interacts with his audience. Yeah. And like, I don't know. Like I, I was very in the mindset like, Oh, this is me working hard, you know, doing the unscalable things at scale. But I think it was just like, I want to be as cool as I think Gary V is. Got it. So I'm going to do what he was doing. Yeah. And I realized nah. It's, not, it's well, not a good use of my time. <laughs> well, you just uh, gave me another question for later in the episode. Um, and we got a lot to talk about, specifically building a sustainable YouTube engine. So this is a um, little Thomas the Frank engine uh, reference here. But uh-huh. before, we get, before we get started, this episode is brought to you by Money Lab Pro. You've been asking for it, and I finally made it. Money Lab Pro is a membership where you can access every single one of my online business courses and chat with me and other like-minded business owners in the members-only Money Lab Pro community. You'll also get access to my SEO, monetization, and blogging video courses, my YouTube and podcast video tutorials, my lightning-fast WordPress theme, and so much more. I did the math. And MoneyLab Pro includes over 155 over-the-shoulder video lessons and growing. Not to mention it includes access to templates, processes, and spreadsheets that I use to run all my online businesses. And like I mentioned before, MoneyLab Pro also includes a members-only community where you can share your ideas and get expert feedback to help you earn more money with your online business. Go to moneylab.co slash pro right now to sign up. It's super affordable and there's no reason not to check it out that's moneylab.co slash pro all right so we're talking about um building a sustainable youtube engine and specifically 
Uh, I want to get into your story of growing your YouTube channel, which I know I don't know if we actually talked about specifically. Uh, but for anyone who's not familiar, if you have a you you have a YouTube channel, uh, Thomas Frank. I think now I have it's one. Called, yeah, I think so. It's called Thomas Frank, right? Yes. It's YouTube. not College Info Geek. YouTube.com slash Thomas Frank. Oh, but your but your username is different. Um, I've had this channel since 2006, so yeah. technically the username is Electric Guy 91, <laughs> uh, which I made up when I was like 13 years old. Yes. But uh, I asked YouTube to give me a short link several years ago, and they gave me YouTube.com/slash Thomas Frank. And so. at this point, at where you're at, you're at like 1.5 million subscribers. Yeah, uh, they won't change your username. <laughs> um, I'm sure they would, right? If you asked them, I I just don't think it needs to be changed. Sure, because you're just that's a short code. Doesn't matter. Yeah, and there's some YouTubers who are way bigger than me. If you look at the right page, yeah, you will see like their username is also something hilarious. Yeah, because it's been so, it's forever old. Yeah, people have had. I mean, like the uh, game theorists channel. What are they at? Ten million subscribers. Yeah. If you go sort by oldest, uh, it's the guy's jazz choir or uh, show choir videos from high school. Oh, really? Yeah, <laughs> he left them up. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. So, um. So the so the 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 YouTube channel is Thomas Frank. The pot or the website and podcast is collegeinfogeek.com or collegeinfogeek. Mm-hmm. And um you focus on helping people be more productive in college. But now it's kind of evolved past not college. college. I've kind of removed all the college branding from my YouTube channel. Yeah. So what I say is I help people become more capable. Um and the areas where I tend to focus the most often are school academic performance and uh, productivity. Um, right. But I also will branch out into career success, a little bit of personal finance. I guess and, it's know, all about learning in general. Sweet magic, the gathering strategy sometimes. No. It's very important for getting dates. Yeah. <laughs> Pressing women. Yeah. You know, let me tell you um, how many spells I can get on the stack. Dude, I, I don't <laughs> question it. If anyone... Do you actually play magic? <laughs> I play so much magic, uh, dude. Do you really? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I had a year, I think it was 2013, where my business was like, if you look at my analytics, it's flatline uh, because I was way, way, way too into it. Way too into magic. Yeah. So I've I've learned to regulate that now. All right. That's good. <laughs> but yeah, I've been okay. playing a little bit more recently. I'm teaching a couple of friends to play as well. Cool. Um, so I want to start um, with your journey of growing a successful YouTube channel to over a million subscribers. Mm. And I want to hear that. And then I want to, and then I, I want to talk about if you're cool with it, the burnout incident, and then how you've been able to bounce back from that. Absolutely. Okay, cool. So, um, obviously you started, what is it? 2006. Is that what you said when you first started your channel? channel? Yeah. Yeah. I think it was, if you look at my, uh, I, I could look at the day, but I think it's like sometime in 2006. It wasn't long after YouTube started. Yeah. And it was a channel I shared with my little brother and we have like stupid videos of our dogs and ninja fighting videos. Sure. And we tried to make a movie once, but it, you know, it was, it was kids just having fun. And those are they still up. They are private. They're private. <laughs> Got it. We still kept them up. Yeah. I think a, a few are unlisted in case yeah. people ever want the links, but they're not actually accessible. When did you start to look at YouTube as like, I'm going to double down on this. 2014. What happened? Uh, so almost everything I've ever done professionally has been a case of me seeing someone else doing it 
getting really interested in them doing it, becoming a fan and then being like, man, I want to do that. Let me try it. Okay. That's how I started blogging. That's how I started podcasting. And that's how I started doing YouTube. So do you remember, of, yeah, oh, do yeah. you remember all the, the influences on all those? Yep. I do. Okay. Okay. So blogging, uh, I was reading a blog called hat college when I was a freshman in college and I discovered that from life hacker. So I was a big life, a uh, life hacker fan. Yeah. Um, late high school, I really wanted to be like a tech dude. Like I wanted to be a systems admin. So I was reading a lot of, uh, and, and tech, uh, like I was on the overclock.net forums and I stumbled across life hacker that way. And yeah. then I found hat college, which was basically another college kid out in California who saw life hacker and was like, let's do that for college. Hmm. And, uh, I applied to write for them at the end of my freshman year got rejected and took the classic. If you can't join them, beat them yeah. method. And I was right. like, well, I'm, you know, I had this guest article that I wrote for them and they're not going to publish it because they rejected me. So I'm going to go make my own blog. Right. And uh, I figured it would just be like a resume booster. And sometimes I go look at like logs of conversations I've saved with friends talking about like what I expect about the, for the blog to become and huh. being like, well, maybe it'll get big someday. Ha ha. That's never going to happen. Right. That's funny. <laughs> uh, so that was that was blogging. Podcasting was Pat Flynn for sure. Uh -huh. I was listening to Smart Passive Income, and I, I remember actually like a specific memory of being in my apartment gym and listening to one of the episodes where he was saying like podcasting is great because your audience feels like they know you. Um, yeah, you feel like you're kind of hanging out, and I was like, "Damn, you're right," because I'm at the gym right now and I'm listening to you, and I kind of feel like I know you. Yeah, and I met Pat at Blog World 2012, mm. um, and I was like. Pat, I feel like I know you because of the podcast. Yeah. And we've become pretty good friends. So I guess it kind of worked out that way. Yeah, it does work. Um, but he did a whole panel about podcasting. And I was like, all right, that's it. I'm going to do it. Mm -hmm. And I promptly waited six months because I was too embarrassed to talk into a microphone. <laughs> Finally did it. I had to like wait for all my, my friends and roommates to leave for a day. And I just rambled into my microphone for 45 that's minutes. That's funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's podcasting. And then YouTube... <laughs> So YouTube, I was always very intimidated because by the time I was thinking about it, I was kind of like already a full-time blogger, but I wasn't making like a ton of money. And the people I was following in YouTube were Pat Flynn and the Fizzle guys. And uh, Sean. On YouTube? Yeah, because, well, the, I was I was a member of Fizzle. Oh, okay, So not right. YouTube, but for video specifically. Got, oh, I okay, think I Fizzle was all on like Wistia or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's on Wistia. Um, and then uh, Sean McCabe started doing Sean West TV. Mm -hmm. But the common factor between all of them is they had that nice background blur, which, as I've learned, is achieved through a not inexpensive camera lens. Yes. And um, I think the Fizzle guys specifically had listed the gear they were using. And they said, we're using, you know, 5D Mark IIs with these really nice lenses. And I'm like, I can't afford that. And mm -hmm. I knew nothing about video. So I assumed if I didn't have that gear, I couldn't make a good video. Right. Um, but there, there was one day where I was like, you know what? Let's just try it because I want a cool video for my about page. And I kind of like copied Corbett's from Think Traffic that he had back in the day. Yeah. But it remember. looked really bad. It was lit with like desk lamps and filmed with my little Sony camera that I'd bought for a Japan trip. And, you know, it was kind of fun. So I did another one where I'm like, all right, I'm going to put my bookshelf in the shot. I'm going to put my Blue Yeti microphone up on this like floating bookshelf I have. It'll be in the shop, but whatever. It's fine. Mm -hmm. Rambled for eight minutes put it on YouTube and I was like, Hey, that's, that's fun. And, uh, around the same time I started watching these gaming YouTubers and these weren't people who were doing let's plays. They were more doing 
you can call them reviews. I would kind of call them just like commentary videos about games they liked. So, you know, a dude named Cat Icarus would talk about like, here's my top 10 favorite games for the PS1, or here's why I like Crash Bandicoot so much. Right. And so he'd literally script it out, um, film the video, and then do all this crazy editing with all these pictures and animations and stuff. And I was like, that's fun. I'm having a lot of fun watching these videos. Let's try that. So my first, I think like, real youtube video was the one about like is college worth it and i made a metaphor about tony hawk's pro skater and i like figured out how to film my tv because i didn't have a capture card right put in footage like built animations and i was like this is fun um i don't think i'm gonna be a youtuber but i would like to have video content on your on the blog yeah and i also remember uh fizzle did that they took a snippet from one of their courses and they were like, we're going to try something new. We're going to turn this into a blog post and have like a little video component just to spice things up. Right. So I took inspiration from that. Uh, but I started having so much fun making YouTube videos that I just kept doing it mm. until eventually it was like, whoa, actually YouTube is becoming a bigger traffic source than the blog itself. When you you had that thought of like, I'm just doing this because it's fun to do. And obviously, I want to add multimedia content to my blog or mm -hmm. to my website. What at what ter what was the turning point where you're like, oh, shit, I got to I got to go full boat with YouTube. It was the first viral video. What was that? I, I think it was my eighth video, um, at least as I count it, because there's a lot of old random crap that i had done like yeah adobe paid me to go out to adobe or they didn't pay me they sent me to adobe max like far earlier so i kind of vlogged that but um you know the, the one that came right before that tony hawk video i consider to be like my first real youtube like i'm putting stuff on youtube yeah for, you're trying yeah i'm trying yeah. Uh, i think it was like eight videos later i made a video called i don't feel like it is um a mindset for amateurs or something like that uh -huh. And it was this whole idea from the war of art that uh, professionals get inspired to write, but it just so happens they get inspired every day at 8 a.m. or whatever time it is. Like sure. they work on a schedule because they're professional. Yeah. So I made this whole video just being like, I don't feel like it. You know, you say it, but it doesn't actually restrict you from making the movements or making the choices. Right. You can say, I don't feel like working out, but you can still move your butt to the gym. You yeah. Just don't feel like it. Right. Uh, and it's funny because I made that video because I was trying to write a much more ambitious video and I realized that I was not going to make my deadline for the week. So I just stood in front of my camera and I'm like, I don't feel like making a video, but that doesn't matter. <laughs> right. And I made that video and it just sort of went kind of viral on Reddit. And uh, I'm like, well, I, I guess that uh, this is big now. When you I say had, viral though, when you say viral, what do you like? Can you give me some 40, context? 40,000 views in a day. And then I That's, think it okay. kind of capped out at 70,000 before it started to die. Uh, did and then you do any sort of promotion up. work to, to make that happen? Or it was just kind of like, I did all your standard ineffective promotion, like, yep. You know, Twitter, Facebook, yeah. all that stuff. But uh, yep. no, it was someone sharing it on Reddit. I think it was on the productivity subreddit and it just kind of struck a chord. So someone found it and just ran with it. Yeah. And I will say that I did eventually develop an actually effective Reddit promotion strategy, which I can share. Um, uh -huh. this one was someone sharing it on Reddit and it, I did not ask them to do it. They just did it. And pfft, there it is. Bob's and, uncle. and what was like you, you said, and that, that was a turning point for you, but why specifically just because you're like, Oh, I, I can't, this never happens on the blog, but it happens well, here. Yeah. I mean, it had happened on the blog before, 
Yeah. I, I think I did a blog post that was like five life lessons you learned from playing Pokemon. And that also went viral on Reddit. Like, well, you had the, years before. you had the hanging desk one too that went and viral, the, the right? Hanging, that was what, that was what made me a blogger, actually. Yeah. That was one year after I started blogging and that went on to Lifehacker and went viral yeah. that way. Uh, so I had a notebook that I kept and like every so often I would create, I think it was once every three months, I would create a little chart that had my current stats for YouTube subscribers, views per month, um, RSS subscribers on the blog. Nice. <laughs> Cause it was nice. back in the day. Yeah. Blog traffic, Twitter followers, Facebook likes. Yeah. Pinterest followers, all the relevant stats that I was trying to grow. And then I would have like three month targets and I would try to like come up with like, all right, well I'm at, 400 twitter followers right now in three months i want to get to 700 something like that mm-hmm. so i think it was like you know i'm at uh 195 youtube subscribers and in three months i would like to get to 500 so i was like i think i could do that and then that video went viral and in two days i had 2,000 subscribers right and i was like holy crap i just smashed through my three-month goal by four times so you know, now 2000 subscribers doesn't seem like a ton to me because of the anchoring effect. But at the time it was like, oh my God, this is something I got to latch onto. What's the anchoring effect? Anchoring effect means um, when you are exposed to a certain number, um, it will alter your perceptions of other numbers. So great example, um, you know, you, you buy like a podcasting microphone. The first one you ever buy is probably a hundred dollars that feels expensive. And then You know, later on, you buy the Shure SM7B that you're talking to me at right now. That yeah. costs about 350. So that will anchor your uh, brain to that price, and you'll be like, "All right, a good microphone costs that." So therefore, my previous microphone that was cheap. It feels like it does. And uh, anchoring effect is used very, very effectively when you see pricing tables for sure. things like online courses. So you see yep. like the three tiers, top ones like 200 bucks. That anchors your expectations so like your brain's like that's what expensive means and then you look at the mid-tier price and you're like well that's actually pretty reasonable yeah and if they didn't do that anchoring then you would look at the what would be the top tier price instead of the mid-tier price and you would say well that's actually expensive because yes your brain's anchored that to be the most expensive thing and how does that work on youtube so on youtube like if you have 500 subscribers and you get 100 in a day you're like oh my god i just increased my subscriber count by 20 percent. that's huge but now um in fact, things were going very well in August to the point where there was one day where I think I got 4,000 subscribers in a day. Yeah. And that's the most I've ever gotten in a day. But that anchored me. And now I've been seeing like, you know, 2,000 subscribers, 2,500 subscribers per day. And I'm like, well, that's that's OK. Like that is now the new normal. Right. Whereas even a month ago, 2,500 a day would have been my record. I would have yeah. been like over the moon. Now it's like, right. well, I've seen 4,000. My brain's now anchored. OK, so you are just now you're just doing videos what weekly you're just like you're you're dedicated to just do like once that 2000 subscriber in a single day viral sensation happened you're like cool i'm i'm a i'm fucking youtuber i'm doing it like i'm going full boat obviously you started i think um for me there's there was definitely a turning point where like youtube just became a thing that i all of a sudden it was like a netflix i was like all of a sudden i realized oh i I engage in this. Like mm-hmm. I'm watching now I watch videos about other YouTubers. Yep. Like, you know, so it's a, I, I'm part of the, I feel like I'm part of the ecosystem, even though I'm not a technically a creator. And so there was like, at what point do you go like, all right, well now it's like the, the website didn't take a back seat, right? It was just like, well, now I'm going to focus on not website plus YouTube. 
Yeah. And YouTube so it as it's more own. like YouTube was fun. Um, and I was very much on like a very like rigid schedule kick at that time, which was mm-hmm. very helpful to the growth. So I just said, all right, one video, one article, one podcast per week. That was my content schedule for a really long time. And you were just trying to grow all three of those. Yep. And at what point did you say that YouTube, like the subscriber thing, I guess that was the point, right? Where you're like, um, I'm going to focus on YouTube as a platform, not necessarily as YouTube as a hosting company for my videos on my website. Yeah, that was probably after like my third video. And okay, that was, it were. wasn't a business decision. It was purely because I was having so much fun. Uh, and also it was, it was like a want uh, to, I wanted to belong. So yes. I, I don't view YouTube so much like this anymore because it's so much bigger now. But at the time I was like, YouTube has a community. And you felt a there, sense you know, of belonging. Many communities on YouTube, but there were a lot of people. And I think it's easier to form like these parasocial relationships when you actually get to see the person for better or for worse. But I was seeing all these people on my camera screen or my my monitor, and yeah. I'm like, I want to be friends with these people. Yeah, you know, I, I want to be friends with Satchback, and I want to be friends with Peanut Butter Gamer and all these people. So I'm like, I want to be part of the YouTube community. Um, and that's what made me feel like I was actually posting things for YouTube rather than just right. as a hosting service. And did you have your? Were you still like keeping track of like I'm I'm trying to grow this thing and get to and become a successful YouTuber? Like you were. Yep. Okay. I I kept drawing out those little charts. I remember there was like one for like passing ten thousand subscribers, and uh, eventually I stopped doing the charts like so religiously and so yeah. granularly but i would still have like impossible list goals up until i think hitting uh, a million subscribers and now i th- I think i iterated at five million but i don't worry about it so much anymore sure and up at until what point- a million i was very concerned with my subscriber count after a million it was it was interesting almost right after a million like i took my little instagram picture of the subscriber count and i was like check it out guys and then kind of like a light switch I'm like oh don't care anymore because wow. it's funny, like you, you're trying to climb this mountain. The moment you get to the peak, there's just a bigger peak in the distance. But at yeah. some point, the peak in the distance is no longer motivating to you. Right. And Anchored. after a million, it was that. Because yeah, because here's the thing: like the human brain doesn't look at numbers in terms of linear growth. If you make a hundred dollars, um, you're you're not like, oh, cool. Now I want to make two hundred dollars. You're like, now I want to make a thousand dollars. Right, right. We think in terms of like geometric or exponential growth. Yeah. Uh, and I remember when I hit a hundred thousand, I was like, cool. You know, and I, I saw these channels at a hundred thousand. I thought of them like as Titans. And then I hit a hundred thousand. I'm like, okay, now I see the people at a million. Like, yeah, they're, they're the Titans. And then I got to a million and it took me so long to get to a million that I'd kind of spent enough time learning about what it was like to be a YouTuber day to day. And I'd met enough YouTubers who were bigger than me and I talked with them and listened to their panels and stuff at VidCon that I realized um, the day to day experience of someone who has 5 million subscribers, 8 million, 10 million on YouTube versus me is not necessarily different. Um, you know, they may have like bigger production facilities. They may not. I know like my friend Alan Becker has like 10 million subscribers um, but he will spend like a year on one video because he's an animator. He's the guy who made animator versus animation. Uh, so he's just like, he wakes up every day and he animates right. same as he's always done. Uh, so really the bigger subscriber count, all that really does is put more pressure on you. Sure. 
Because now it's like, I have a million people who I can't let down instead of 500,000 or 100,000. <laughs> okay. So, uh, all right. To, then let's get into it then. What point, or maybe this is never, did you feel successful? Like, I had done it. Have you, uh, do you, do you, have you, have you still not feel that? Or did you ever go like, oh, yeah, I'm good. Like, I'm good and everything else now is bonus. It, it's always a dichotomy. Um, I think even when I hit that like 2,500 subscriber mark that day when it went viral, I was like, oh, I did it because I was like, I will never have a viral video hit. That's just, right. that's something that happens to other people and very few of them it won't happen to me. And then it happened to me. I'm like, oh, cool. I did it. But now there's something else. And then right. I hit a hundred thousand. Cool. I did it. I got the plaque sitting on my wall right there. I did it. But now there's a million, um, hit a million. I did it. But now there's blah, blah, blah. And I don't know, there's always moments where it's going to make you feel like a badass and a baller, like getting the plaque in the mail. And then there's moments that are going to humble you, like going to VidCon with a million subscribers and nobody noticing you or recognizing you, even though you're on camera as a face the entire time. Really? uh, You really felt that? So I went to I went to VidCon and I think like four or five people recognized me. But, you know, there's like other people there with like 300,000 subscribers and they have like crowds of people around them. And I'm like, well, what's going on? And you realize like audiences are different. You know, some people just have an audience that tends to go to events like that. I have an audience that tends to buckle down and get their shit done in school. (laughs) Right. So they're not going to VidCon. Um, And, uh, you know, or, or I'll meet someone who's like they're running amazing camera gear that I've never seen before. And I'm like, well, that's a new thing that I haven't done yet. So clearly I haven't made it, you know? So like right now I'm like playing with, uh, you know, like a cinema camera that I barely understand how to operate. And I'm, I'm going to have like a follow focus system coming in so I can like pull accurate manual focus. And I'm a complete noob at that stuff. So I feel like an utter beginner again. But then in terms of like, have, you know, how do I make a video that gets a lot of views? I've done that. So, I guess I feel like I've made it there. Okay. Do you, but like, so that, so you've, you've recently, and I don't know how recent this was, but like you've, you said out loud, like, I think I went through a burnout period. Right? Yeah. I went through heavy burnout for sure. What was the, or what do you think was the straw that broke the camel's back? Um, it, there was no straw. It was just like me doing the same thing for months on end. Oh, you mean uh, so just repetition? It, it, yeah, and the pressure. So here's the thing. Um, I know a lot of people have this. I don't know if you do, but I have this like personality or brain type that whenever I gain an advantage of some sort, I don't ever want to let it go, even if it requires me to do continuous work to keep it. So example? Um you know, when I, when I got big on YouTube and I started posting weekly, I'm like, well, I have to keep posting frequently. That's what everyone says you got to do to keep your subscriber growth up. And, uh, even, even in terms of like, you know, I would look at my subscriber count and I'm like, the subscriber count is not what matters. It's, it's the daily growth rate. Right. I was at a thousand a day and now I'm down at 500. I am now washed up, you know, I'm a loser. has been, I guess my 15 minutes of fame is over. You know, I don't like say these things in my head, like, but but you feel it a little bit. It's like in the back. It's a little voice. Sure. It's just yeah, like, yeah. what are you doing, man? You were you yeah. were there. Now you're down here. What's going on? Yeah. And that's a toxic mentality, right? Because yeah. we're always changing. Our circumstances are always changing. But it's hard to get over. So uh, 2017 is when I met the guys who run Standard. Mm-hmm. And they started getting me sponsors. And, uh, 
you know, very fortunately, I guess I convert well for sponsors because they kept coming back to the point where my schedule was booked out months in advance. So it was like, I had said, I'm going to do a video every week. And he's like, cool, I got you a sponsor for every week up until the end of the year. Wow. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah. cool. Okay. So now there's sponsor expectation. There's obligation. Um, there's audience expectation, but I don't know if I want to do it a video every week, you know, but here's the thing. Well, why like, do you feel that though? Why do you, why do you even have that thought? Cause I'm very artistic with yeah. my videos. Um, I'm, I'm not like one of those guys who's happy to just like stand in front of the camera and just like, you know, spew some random crap because I need to get a video out. I'm like, no, if I'm going to do a video, it's got to be like the thing. Yeah. And I realized this is also a bad mindset because um, if, if you go into a project thinking this has to be the thing yeah. and that's what you do every week. This is like based you on your worth. Burn as a yourself out. And yeah, yeah, you're pouring your self-worth into something. So you do have to strike a balance of like some projects are super ambitious and some are a little more stripped down. And mm-hmm. I think of it like with a band, right? Uh, you know, the best bands in the world don't write an album and like expend all their creative energy and like the next day, like, all right, let's start the next album. Yeah, no, like, they, no, we're going to tour. tour. We're going to like, you know, we're going to switch gears for a bit. Yeah. And we're going to recover creatively. And then yep. we're going to go write another album. But with your, when you're a YouTuber, you can't do that. And when you, when you, at least when you're like me and you're like, well, okay, this has to be the video on note taking. And the next week right. I got to make the video on file organization. Right. That gets tough, especially when I'm, you know, want to do skits and do comedy and I want to learn new techniques for every video. Yeah. And that was a big thing too. Like I had this rule, get 1% better with every video mm-hmm. in some aspect, whether mm-hmm. it's delivery or animations or lighting, sound, whatever it is, get better. And that's incredibly useful because I've improved in many different areas, but it also means like the moment you're like, Hey, I just learned how to do really good sound. Well, got to do that for every video in the future. Right. Same with any other technique. So it got to the point where, uh, those mental things were weighing on me, but I had also brought in actual real world constraints because I had built a team and then I had raised up what I was paying them over time and they were all doing good work. And I think they were all providing value to the business. But a lot of what they do is long-term focused. You know, I've got like a guy who writes articles, but those articles may take months or years to rank well and actually increase income. So Mm -hmm. to a degree, my YouTube sponsorship earnings subsidize what some other people on my team do. So I'm like, well, I now can't cut back on my sponsor schedule because I will affect the livelihoods of the other people working for me. Yes. So I kind of like put myself in this position where like I'm bearing the weight. Yep. But I don't want to, but I feel like I literally can't not bear the weight. You put, it sounds like you put yourself on a hamster wheel that yep. of, of like creative energy that had to keep flowing and you had to do whatever it took to get like to do the best video every fucking week. Mm-hmm. And, and then you would probably, I would imagine, cause I, I could see myself being like this, like get really bummed out when you had to make just a fucking video to get yeah. a spot like to do a sponsor video and you're like well i hate myself now because i had to this week was shit video number you know 784 about for for skillshare or whatever and it's like uh and not to say that like it's shit not to everyone who's watching it, it's just shit to you because it wasn't what you put into it so like i was i would t- tell people um when i would like um do sound for bands, like I would go do live shows and do sound for bands. And I remember like going up to a bunch of bands and being like, oh, dude, that was awesome. And then they'd be like, that fucking sucked, man. I'm like, yep. okay, cool. Yep. Maybe you think that, but like 
everyone else, including me who was doing sound for you, did not think that. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So like a mat, that's like a tortured, that's like a torment that I'm like, I tried to say that. I remember this one incident in particular. He's like, ah, oh, I fucking sucked. And I was like, okay, you gotta, you just kind of have to go like, yeah, maybe it wasn't your best day, but you did something and you performed something and it was good because you are good, right? Like yeah. you made yourself 1% better all these years. And so like your less than is like everyone else's, 150 percent plus you know what i mean yep so that is that's definitely something i've learned with going into youtube has been like i will have the same mentality where it's like you want to create something that like the end all be all the freaking the the like the greatest thing that ever is created you want to create your uh your citizen cane of youtube videos right yep. every week and <laughs> and look what happened to that motherfucker but like this idea that you're shittiness like your worst video is like a million plus billion people's best video right just because you've done all of this work prior to get to where you are and it's like okay well yeah like even if, if i took a shit in the bed today like it's gonna be the awesome shit though <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> yeah so, there's like glitter in it and stuff yeah, you know, oh, yeah i've learned dude, to eat glitter it's the total glitter the turds are gold baby yeah so so you're at this point and what and i think this is the hardest point to sort of say to yourself like oh i'm i admit especially being the type of person oh it was right? so weird man it's i i was the wealthiest i'd ever been mm-hmm. and the least happy i'd ever been that's <laughs> <laughs> such a common story though right like you know it's such a that's such a like uh so poetic in a way yeah and it's funny because you know? like a lot of people who don't have um you know a lot of money which i've been there We'll be yeah. like, well, well, you have a lot, a lot of money. You could just stop. Sure. But the mentality that got you to having a lot of money right. will not let you stop. Yeah, it's still there. You would never have gotten there. Right. You know? Like yep. it's, it, because you're not doing it for the money. You're doing it for fulfillment. You're doing it for, um, I mean, to be honest, you're doing it to uphold a lot of these vanity metrics, including mm-hmm. the growth numbers. Yeah. Ego. Like, Ego, and I think like a lot of, and this is the tough part about the internet. There's so many different metrics and our mm-hmm. egos are not <laughs> defined by the static number. Our uh-huh. egos are defined about, are they still going up? Uh-huh. Am I still on my rise? Yeah. it's It sucks sometimes. It's just like, you know, I don't want to sound like I'm complaining, but it is a no. challenge to be in a profession where you're artistic and creative, but there are also professional obligations. Yes. And unless I think you- any artist will realize that. Yep. And there's a point at which you have to kind of either say, like, am I a professional or a, am I a professional artist or am I an artist? Mm-hmm. Right. And I think there is a difference. It's that, that idea about waking up every morning and just I'm I'm creative at 8 a.m. I was yep. a list, there's a um, iron and wine. Right. That he's a folk artist and the motherfucker clocks in to a recording studio every day. Yep. And and he writes mostly bad songs. You know, but every once in a while, he's he he goes into the studio and something comes out, and he's like, "Oh, mm-hmm. cool! This is going to be on my next album." Like this is this becomes a thing, and so and I also just watched a YouTube video about Boney Bear's new album and how you know how long it took for him to just make one song, but every day yeah. they just went in, they just kept working on it, working on it. It's like you don't have a choice; you're you're a professional creative. Mm-hmm. Like you you kind of have to go in and just do the work, even if you don't feel inspired that day. And I do think that's one of my weaknesses. I don't tend to do any sort of work that I throw away. Mm. 
like I'll never I'll never like shoot footage and be like, ah, that sucked. I'm going to try it again. So really? I've, I've like almost never. I think there's one video I've scrapped. Oh, ever. So, uh, you know, in over a five year YouTube career where most videos do fairly well, it's like it becomes this expectation that, all right, you got to sit down and drop the golden egg every time. Yeah. Fill them up, duck. Yep. You know, so uh, it, 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 it can get paralyzing. It's very similar to the whole like feeling that you have a blank cursor on a screen and you must like type the perfect. Yeah, paper the right away. Um, and, you know, I've said this a million times, like make a mess, make shit because yeah. there's probably something good in there, but it's very hard to follow that advice. Yeah. And, and you also had all these people. So yep. there was like and there was this you had built this engine and you were the friggin, you know, keystone. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm absolutely and the bottleneck. <laughs> you're the linchpin, and if that friggin' if it falls out, the whole engine goes to shit, mm-hmm. right? And all these people's lives are 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 ch- will change. They're not going to be ruined. They'll be fine. They right? wouldn't be ruined, just, but they would change. You know, they would change, and, 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 and you didn't want to be responsible for that. It's an ego driven thing, but you do feel like they would have a worse life if you were to stop. Of course, right? You know, and yeah, I. I and they probably wouldn't. And here's the big thing. They definitely don't think they wouldn't. And or no, I don't think that they would have a worse life. Yes. Uh, Because this is the thing. When you are doing something, it's like the whole like the devil, you know, is better than the devil. You don't. Mm -hmm. Which is it's like a funny idiom because politically we tend to go the opposite way. And like we want the devil. We don't know just because who knows? It could be great. Um, But uh, even with my burnout, I was like, if I stop taking if I stop doing four sponsor videos a month, I'll never make enough money to sustain my business again. And I was like, even, even when I was burned out, I'm like, that is patently not true. If I gave myself mental space, I would figure out how to make money a different way. But for the longest time, I didn't believe it. So this is why I'm saying like, I think if, if for whatever reason, my team couldn't work with me anymore, they would figure it out too. Because when presented with time and a motivator, which is like a challenge, Oh, Mm -hmm. I just lost my job. You figure it out. Yeah, it's stressful, but you know, I no, don't we're think, humans. Like, we're we're built to survive. Yeah, but it's you know, it's, you know the uh, the the greater voice in your head is like, nope. If you stop, everything will be destroyed, and yeah. everyone will hate you forever. <laughs> yeah, that just that just puts you at the center. You know, that makes you the uh, that that's, yep. that's it. your ego putting you at the center of the of other people's universes. When it's like, uh, I don't give a fuck about you, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, and my but, other my other problem is. Uh, I have data to show that when I give my team something, they will create I and mean, they will often do great or even better than I could. But yeah. it's still very hard for me creatively to not want to insert my fingers into every pie. So, yeah. you know, I'll be like, you could just edit this video. But then I'll be like, well, wait, what if we did a shot like that? And all of a sudden, like now I'm spending a day doing B-roll right. shots when I could have just right. given that to my editor. Or yep. I'm like, hey, Martin, can you write a script on this topic? And then he'll give me the script back that he wrote and I'll see one sentence and it'll give me an idea. And then like, whoops, I accidentally rewrote it. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> again, I think like I may need a boss to be like, no, you can't do that. Just film the script he gave you. Right. <laughs> you don't, you don't need a boss. And I, and I, and I think we're going to, we're going to get into that too. Cause I think there's a lot to talk about on the process side of things. But when you, you, so you, you come to this moment, how did you change it? What did, what actions did you take mm-hmm. to be like, all right, time to shift gears. Like, Let's let's figure it out. Like, what were all the steps you took to do that? So uh, there was a, a month over month process where the beginning of the month would start be like, I am free. And then all of a sudden the deadlines would creep up on me and I would stress myself out until the end of the month was the worst thing ever. Mm. Um, and it got to the point where 
my girlfriend was like, you've started talking negatively about your work oh. and you used to never do that. And I don't like it. And I'm like, mm. you're right. Like, okay, if I am, if I'm like, oh God, I gotta make a video. And I'm like, I'm so pissed at every stage of the process. Clearly I'm burned out. And yeah. there's another pride thing there. I've made a video about burnout. I've made a video about failure. Therefore, I'm immune to it because <laughs> right. I gave people tips that I researched on the internet, you know, yeah. about how to deal with it. Therefore, I should just be automatically able to do it. There's a lot of like pride involved yeah. here, but yeah. uh, it eventually got to the point where I'm like, damn, she's right. I am speaking negatively about it. every stage of my work. I'm making life worse for her because I'm being a sourpuss. Sure. Uh, so I had a long talk with Martin. I think we were supposed to record a, a podcast episode, but he came over and I'm just like, I'm just freaking burnt out, man. And he's like, well, if I have to take a pay cut, I will. Wow. Like, I, I don't want to do that. But um, we opened up my big spreadsheet because I keep a very accurate spreadsheet of all my income sources and their average income per month and all the expenses. Mm -hmm. And I have like what if scenario calculations built in. Yep. Um, and I'm like, all right, well, let me just change the videos per month thing from four to two and i did it and i'm like well shit yeah <laughs> it actually doesn't require me to cut anyone's pay all it would mean is i won't be saving any money every month yes. i will be breaking even okay huh. right and again i had that thought i'm like i bet you if i gave myself space i could come up with extra ways to make money i could make an online course or i could um really double down on some seo content build some more affiliate opportunities like we've been letting the affiliate stuff just kind of fester for a long time because yeah you know you get on one really good income source and then you don't yep. have a motivation to do other ones yep so i did it um and i went and i talked talk to my sponsor manager i'm like hey dave i'm super burned out and i want to like give a huge shout out to dave and like everyone at standard because um I've, I've heard stories about people who work with other agencies where the agencies will basically claim to represent the creator, but they really represent the brands and sure. they will push creators to take on more work than they can do. They'll push creators to do things that are ethically outside of their bounds. Um, standard absolutely, absolutely represents their creators and they will, they will be proactive about making sure everyone's mental health is good. And Dave was like, absolutely. Let me, let me talk to people. Yeah. Uh, and he comes back and because we had so much booked out, he's like, it would be like, I can get you on three videos a month. Otherwise, I need to start making phone calls and actually canceling spots we've we've signed on, which I will do if we have to. And I'm like, you know what? I think we can do three. Okay. And it was interesting because he said, all right, starting next month, you're three videos a month instead of four. Uh, I was still in the middle of May and I still had to do four videos that month. So I, yeah. the workload that month had not changed, but just seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, knowing that this cycle will not repeat uh, in the coming months. It was yep. like a weight was lifted. And the very next day, I started getting ideas. Like I was writing down uh, new income opportunity ideas in Evernote. Like it all yep. came back. It well, was you like, shifted your creativity to something else for temporarily. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. and I don't use the word depression lightly because I don't think I've ever experienced depression in the way that many other people have. But yeah. I think I realized that I was in a mild depression where I was thinking negatively, I wasn't allowing my brain to go places where it should go. And uh, it, it was caught in a spiral. And yep. the moment I sort of like lifted that weight off, which was hard because I felt like I was letting people down doing it. Sure. Um, you know, it brought back so much creativity. You know, it's funny, like the, the spreadsheet moment is 
something that I go, now like Steph always brings. He's like, she says, let's go. Let's go to this. Let's go to the numbers. Numbers don't lie. Numbers make you feel better. They always do. Like if you, especially mm-hmm. like you take, I, I'm the same way. Like my, my income expenses, like every sing, single thing is, is managed um, to a very fine detail where I can change one number in a spreadsheet and go, Oh, Yep. <laughs> okay. And then it's just like, it's really just about reshifting where, you know, it's, it's any, like, it's like with anything, like it's like with diet, it's like with, you know, even your personal finances, it's like, okay, guess what? You can't do this. You know, like maybe you have to remove this from your life. Maybe, you know, in my case, like, uh, you know, maybe you, uh, can't go out and buy two cases of beer every, every week. Right. Yep. Okay. Yes. But in return, like you're going to have a house in a year. Oh, mm-hmm. so it's like this, like something better opens up and for t- not even, it's really not even a temporary like discomfort. It's just like, oh, well, I'm just, it's a trade-off that act- actually happens to be better. And in your case, it wasn't even a trade-off. It was just, it, well, I guess it was because it's like, well, I won't be able to save as much, but that'll be temporary because then I yeah. can reshift. I'm just going to reshift into this other thing. And I've done that so many times with my business that to the, I'm at the point now where I kind of fucking got it figured out. It's like, all right, I, I'm, I'm not overspending on, like I have a, a budget. I am not overspending on employees. Um, I know where my limitations are. It takes a long time to get there, I think. And you have to go through all of these stages like you went through and, and I've been through it as well. And then you just go like, oh man, it's really like the spreadsheet kind of is the best thing in the world. And if, you, if really you're not is. keeping track of your money like that in a in a good way, like yeah, it's money can be stressful when you're not tracking it. It's just that simple. Yeah, and also like what I what I learned is when you're doing well revenue wise and margin yeah. wise, um, you know there is a lot of fat that could be trimmed. For oh, instance, yeah. you know we had two hundred and fifty thousand people on our email list, so we were paying it was like nine hundred bucks a month for email. Yeah, and uh, I was like, well, crap, I, I should probably go look and cut expenses because we're gonna now break even. Sure. And so we did the whole like re-engagement campaign and I had always been afraid to do it because back when I was on MailChimp, like I would try to build the segment of people who hadn't opened any emails in like the last five campaigns and it would give me yep. like a crap ton of people. But then I would click into some and it was like, this person actually clicked your last email. So I did right. not trust MailChimp segmentation tools, but uh, convert kits are fine. So we actually cut like 150,000 people out of our email yes. list. Thanks a sorry, lot. Now sorry not- <laughs> for your monthly affiliate check that you get from me cutting it down. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. But I do it too. Like every, I mean, just, just recently I cut it down again and I had to, and what sucks about ConvertKit and we have obviously voiced our opinion on this, but we have to go and freaking email them and be like, yo, I cut my shit down. Yeah. I don't want to pay as much. Yeah. I, I emailed which, Nathan about it. He got, he got back to me and he was saying yeah. like, it's definitely on the roadmap, but they've had to build a lot of code to deal with like spammers and abusive people. And I'm like, right. That's fine. I mean, I, I definitely want it to happen. And I think it's yeah. something that we should advocate for because it's, you know, it's, I, I let them know, like it's something where if one person cut the email list size down and somebody else manages the finances, no one yeah. would ever notice. No one ever knows. Yeah. And I you're think you're not um, serving your customer base that way. But anyway, no. um, you know, yeah. When you, when you're like, okay, I can't ride high anymore. Well, you, you find ways to trim the fat. Yeah. Because there's a lot of fat that gets accumulated when all of your time and energy are going into one big, you know, money-making endeavor. Totally. And so, what, and so now you're at this point where like you've, you've cut down your team significantly and not just because you're making less videos. You're only making one less video a month. Yep. You just, 
had to re-optimize and go, well, can we do, you know, what we, what we were doing with four, can we do with two or can we do with one? You know, mm-hmm. same way you did with the videos. It's like, when you look at the numbers, it's like, oh, actually we can. And, and the growth and that this happened to me last year or the year before where it was like, I just had so many people on my team thinking that's how you grow a business. And it turns out like just because more people doesn't equal more work being done. Nope. It just means that work gets spread across more people. And then there's just more like invoices you have to sign every, every month. Yeah. And so it was like, it, you know, and you start, you learn and you get there and if you're self-aware enough in your business and you work on your business at times and you play CEO, um, you do find those things out. So now, um, in this case, we're just going to like, you know, everything's good to go. The team is, is light, but effective. What have you done to make these three videos less weight inducing? Uh, put less expectations on myself for sure. So here's the funny thing. I have actually made my process less efficient on purpose. Okay. So for the longest time I've advocated, like always have your lights set up, have your camera in one place, have your lights on, um, an Amazon echo. So you can just tell it to turn all the lights on. Like I had a, I had a part where uh, I was at a point where I could walk into my room, say one little word and my entire studio would come on and I would just hit record and I'd be good to go. Wow. But it wasn't inspiring. So (laughs) it got down to the point where like my bottleneck is I will just dilly dally on every single little element that I can until there's like no time left. And the efficiency savings doesn't matter because the the studio doesn't inspire me. So with the last few videos, I've been like cobbling together a set that I think is cool. I'm like, hey, I kind of want to do some sort of like unbox therapy where he's got like a desk and it's like a wide angle and I can show off my backpack or something. All right, let's cobble that together. And it takes like 15 minutes to set up. Yeah. maybe half an hour. It's not that much time. And I go in and I'm inspired, right? right. Um, in terms of actual efficiency gains, uh, one thing that I always rejected doing but started doing recently was uh, is using a teleprompter. You did start using one. Yep. Because uh, I went to... Which one do you have? I went to VidCon and I've had like this, this big one for a while that I didn't really like. Um, and then somebody showed me this one called the, the Parrot teleprompter yeah, little, which you put the, your phone eye. in yep. and, it, and it slides onto the front of your lens which is yep. cool so it's almost like a little map box and you put your phone in there and i'm like well this is way more convenient and what i didn't like about my old teleprompter was it was bigger and it used an ipad so i could see myself reading but with the phone the text column is so uh thin that i couldn't tell that i was reading on my footage and not a single person has pointed it out so now when I have a fully scripted video, instead of sitting in my room, like trying to memorize a line and then deliver it, which sucks, I yep. just do a teleprompter. Um, but I still sometimes do like the ad libbed videos with like just bullet lists. So uh, that's what I started doing recently. I, I got the um, I forget which one I have, but it's it holds an iPad and it's a whole rig that goes on the camera. Mm-hmm. And I did have the parrot for a while, but because it used the iPhone, you know, uh, I use my iPhone as the the tracking device oh just get the app that uh listens to your voice yeah so that's the one i have pretty well Uh, that's the one i have it works pretty well but sometimes i have to scroll back and so i use the phone to scroll back yeah and yes currently you can see me reading and what i'm planning on doing so i just bought a new sigma lens that um you recommend it because I need the lens to go in the in the box that it comes in. Because it's mm-hmm. like my I'm using a pancake lens, so it doesn't really work that well. Oh, and so you're filming at 24 mil 
And with yeah. the Sigma, you'll be able to go down to 18. That's a good yeah. thing to notice about, or to note about teleprompters is the wider your angle, um, the, the, I guess, tiny, the tiny yeah, the your eyes are going to be in the frame. Right. And the further back you move the camera from the actual glass, yep. the, the, it, you know, so or I from, can move from the your, well, not the glass, the further back you move the camera from you. Right. Right. So like, right. think about it this way. You could have a, uh, you know, 100 millimeter lens and you could do a close up, and that would require the camera to be really far away. Uh, or you could use a wide angle to do the same kind of the same close up, same field of view, but the camera would be much closer. Yeah. Uh, but because the camera is much closer, your eyes be physically moving further to read right. that. So and it I'm, can actually yeah, be so better I'm trying to have to get, the camera further back. Yeah. So I'm trying to get more, my eyes more like into the actual lens itself. Mm-hmm. And um, that's one trick I'm going to try. I do have a parrot, so I could just reuse that. But I, I don't like the iPhone. Like, I don't like doing work on the iPhone. I have my iPad I like doing the work on. And I yeah, use, yeah, it's works. called Smart Prompter or something like that. Smart Prompt? Yes. I think it's the smart one that like you talk and it smart. moves. Prompt Smart. Yeah. Yep. Um, that was a huge change for me. Cause yeah, I used to do what you did where we would write a loose script. Um, it would actually be like a full script and then I would have the iPad like kind of near me and I would just keep looking down at this iPad mm-hmm. and then trying to remember the, memorize the lines. I'm not going to memorize the whole script. And then I would look up into the camera and go, and then this ha- and fuck. <laughs> and I would just keep going. Like I would just keep yelling at myself because I couldn't get it right. And I would take yeah. multiple takes right? Just over and over again. And then I'd be the one who have to edit it. So I would have to edit in reverse because I would have to, I, the best take was always the last take. And so I would, mm-hmm. it was just a, and that's not how I like to edit. So it just was a fucking pain in my ass. And I was, you know, we have, a, I have a script writer now. And, and so like, I, you know, now I just was like, all right, let me try a teleprompter. And so you try the teleprompter. I have a script writer and I'm like, Hey, write for the teleprompter. Great. I I do a once over on the script. So it's like I'm still like I have to punch up jokes. Mm-hmm. I have to, you know, make sure the information's correct. And and what you're doing, what I'm doing, we kind of we're not giving life stories. We're giving like actual technical information. Yeah. And so you kind of have to get it right. Right. You have one shot to get it right. And so if it's written down and you've pre-screened it and someone else has looked at it, chances are it's more right than you even saying it just wrong because you're just trying to memorize it. Like what if you just said it backwards and you kind of messed up, but that was really important in how you said it. And so I started doing the teleprompter and I realized one, it didn't take me as long to actually film. And then two, it's like half the time, half the time. (laughs) And then my, and then everything sounds great. It's like perfect. And then the editing takes less time. Yep. You're not scrubbing through all your mistakes. You know, I will say teleprompter is a skill. Yeah, hundred like well, percent, dude. But it's uh, it's a skill you get better at with time. Just like speaking into a microphone or doing YouTube videos, like you gotta yeah. practice it. But yeah, once you get it down and it gets to the point where it doesn't look like you're reading, yeah, um, I can make it sound like really, I don't look. It's like a reading. really good skill to have. Like if you watch Linus Tech Tips, he's always reading off a teleprompter. Really, John Oliver teleprompter. Sure, they're right. just really good at making it right. look like it's not. A teleprompter thing. Or if you're Seth Meyers or reading off cue cards. <laughs> yeah. Like cue actual cards. cue cards. I think Linus might actually be one of the best teleprompter readers I've ever seen. I'm going to have to watch I can some tell of that stuff. John Oliver's reading, but I can yeah. almost never tell that Linus is reading. He's just really good at it. I'm going to have to look at his videos because, yeah, if there's anything I want to get better at, it's that. And I feel like I did, I've done pretty well with it because I can I do it for the podcast so much. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's – and then and what's great about it, too, is, like, I can – pre-think of the jokes like i have enough time and space to like come up with jokes yep you know that's and a second and, pass i think 
That is like the second You do pass. the one, you, you do punch like the actual detailed, and then there's a punch up. And then yeah. uh, what can be helpful for a teleprompter is to do a table read. So you literally mm. just read your script out loud with a piece of paper on the screen. Oh, I definitely like do Getting that. a feel for the inflections. Yeah. Because um, I've noticed like, you know, for recording my audiobook, um, you know, I, I think I'm a pretty darn good narrator, but there's sometimes where I'll go into a sentence and I'll see a comma and I'm like, well, that's probably a comma for one reason. But it's like, no, it's actually a comma listing out a bunch of things. So the tone you came in with the beginning is just not good. You can right. do it. So doing a table read can help you anticipate those things. And then yeah. again, less film time, less, edit less time. editing. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was the the huge part. And then, you know, because now I can hand. So I, I hired an editor. We have the same editor and I can now hand him the script plus the video. And so he knows mm-hmm. now he knows he knows what what to keep. He doesn't have to make an executive decision on his own to say that needs to come out because he said it wrong or like, uh, you know, or I don't have to say that in post because we use frame.io to be like, you know, to take a pass at it. And I obviously, I obviously wanted less passes in the editing um, process. So, yep. you know, he does it one take or one pass at it fully, you know, all the B-roll, everything. Just kind of let him do it based on a, like a series of um, like rules that we have uh, set up for editing. And I, we have a bunch of like pre-recorded B-roll that he can just pull from. And I'm, I'm constantly adding B-roll to these like little libraries. Mm-hmm. And so at a certain point, it's like the, the, the number of passes and the editing took less because yeah. it's, everything was kind of done early on. And so um, that has been friggin', I mean, like it, it, it's, I could do four videos a month with like, I could do eight. You know, yeah. like I, I feel like and now after processing all of this out, even the teleprompter, I think might have been a huge change for you. Do you feel now that like four videos would not be a problem? Yeah. Like once I get kind of everything back in place, yeah. like we're going back to four. OK. And I would like to do more. My biggest issue is I need to get past uh, the idea that every single video needs to be my baby. Yeah. Because like I'll come up with topics randomly like, hmm. 10 life improving items under $50. That would be a cool video. And I'm like, well, I could do that really quick and just give Tony the footage and then we'll move on to the next one. But like, oh, or I could like buy a motorized slider, do like these amazing cinematic shots of this chef's right. knife. Like, that's my problem with every single video. So sure. I, I really need to get past the point. And I think what I'm going to do, and I talk with Martin about this because he actually does a little bit of art direction with our podcast uh, mm-hmm. thumbnails, is uh, he started writing scripts for me. So I think I'm just going to be like, all right, Martin. I will film this, but then like you and Tony are doing, doing everything it. else. It, like your new job is to get to the point where you and Tony can produce a successful YouTube video with my footage and yes. I don't have any say in it. And that like, way you're I not even going to like, like li- watch an edit. Yeah. Like I, w- I want them to wow. show me at the, at the end and I'll be like, all right, change these things. But I want yeah. them to like, take it as their project. And that way I'll be able to do the other ones myself. You know, and Tony can still edit for me, but like some of them would be my creative direction and then some of yeah. them could be his and make it more of a team thing with me still being the host. Okay. So I have two questions on that. One, um, that is something I'm ultimately pining for. Like I want to just be the filmer, mm-hmm. you know, you wanna be like the I want to, I want to be the talent. I want to yep. get in, the, in front of the camera and I want to spend one hour recording four videos because they're all scripted. They're all, yep. you know, I just boom, one hour a month. That, that, and great. what taught me that I could do that was uh, doing crash course study skills. 
Yes. Because I wrote that series. I filmed the A roll. I had no input about the B roll whatsoever. They just did it. And, and, it and then great. my, uh, my Skillshare course, um, you might the editing on my Skillshare course is a lot simpler than what I do in my YouTube videos. And at yep. first I was like, people aren't going to like it because it's simpler. People fucking love it. Yeah. They love it because yeah. it's clear and simple. And yeah, it's, I think sometimes actually, um, my humor gets in my own way and people are like, your video is too humorous. You're trying to be authoritative about this topic and you're like making jokes about goats. <laughs> right. So, right. Um, sometimes yeah, giving sense. it to someone else who's going to be a little more straight laced about it is actually a good thing. Yeah. And I think for me, it's more about uh, making sure that the content is like uh, right now I have this issue where if Tony puts uh, an image on the screen that actually doesn't match because he doesn't know anything about pools and not yep. nor, nor should he. Um, but I'm the only one right now on my team who knows enough to be like, oh, that's the wrong vacuum cleaner. Mm-hmm. Like I said, automatic cleaner, not manual cleaner. And that's a manual cleaner, <laughs> you know, like stupid shit like that. But, you know, I have to watch an entire, you know, 10 minute video just to catch that one mistake. And it's like, yeah. you know, somebody else can really be the creative director of the entire flow of videos. The last piece of the process that I am still in charge of, and I think you are too, but correct me if I'm wrong, is the uploading process. Yeah, I still do that. What, is there, all right, so, all right, then I got more questions on and that. Yes, there that's, is a way to do it. There is a way, and what do you think that way is, and will you ever get rid of it? Um... I may get rid of it against one of those things where that's not the bottleneck in my process. I could, I could, you know, um, automate all these super inefficient little things and still be left with the main problem, which is, you know, my tendency to procrastinate and get mired in little details. Um, so I haven't worried about it, but yeah, if you, if you have like a personal YouTube account, you can go through this process to like convert it to a brand account. Once you do that, you can, um, you can set other people as channel managers right? who can't like delete your channel or make substantial changes, but they can upload videos and publish them and do all that. So on the podcast channel, that's exactly what we do. Um, okay. Anna uploads them because she's the one who renders them from her computer. She edits the podcast and then yep. Martin goes in and he does all the details. So uh, I never touch the podcast channel, even though I am the owner of it. Do you use TubeBuddy or VidIQ? I use vidIQ. I have been thinking that may be an area where there's fat to trim as well for me personally. And uh, I I wouldn't switch to TubeBuddy either. I would just stop using it. So I do use vidIQ's SEO like keyword research tool. And I I actually use it for topic selection more than anything. Hmm. So like that makes sense. I'll be like, all right, well, I want to do a video on uh, Evernote. Like, how many searches is Evernote getting right now? Oh, it's getting this many. But, oh, wait, this other app is getting a bunch, too. Maybe I should do an app uh, or a video on Todoist. Yeah. So that's that's, that's useful. But um, what about, like, the um, like the uh, the tags, like, being able, when you add tags to each video, like, they kind of give you suggestions to add right then and there? They do. I just don't know how helpful it is. If you ask Tom Martin, he'll say it is helpful. And he actually yeah. had a presentation he did at VidSummit, you know, showing, like, I use these tags, and then we had this successful channel, and it's correlation. But there's no one out there saying, like, yes, if you use these tags, you're going to get, you know, more views. And, you know, when I look at the person who's crushing it in my space right now, it's Matt Diavella. Yeah. And Matt Diavella has super simple titles. He yep. has really beautiful thumbnails, but they're just photos. They're not filled with text. 
He has very little in his descriptions. He's not putting crazy amounts of effort into his keywords or titles or, or tags or anything. He's just making a good video that is very pleasing to watch and has a good message. But let's be truthful about this because I've thought a lot about it. I think that his videos are successful or he got a very fast meteoric rise because of there was a few videos that went viral on his channel, like big time viral, right? Millions. And he's also talking about a subject that is just getting the fucking shit searched out of it on YouTube. It he's is not just really like, talking about minimalism anymore, though. But he did. He did, but like his... La- so the video he did most recently was like, it was just called The Two-Day Rule. And it's like, a the thumbnail is like just a picture of him grabbing his keys and his water bottle. And it's about like going to the gym. But, you know, I could make that video. Sure. Because I have a very similar thing. Like, I've got a schedule for working out. You know, yep. it's, it's not anything that only he could talk about. So, no, but he and can like talk for, about it now, right? He yeah. Could, he couldn't have like done for, that. No, he could have. I think he could have. You never know what's going to go viral on YouTube, man. I've that's made a true. video about not feeling like it. And that went viral. <laughs> right. That's fair. <laughs> um, and for like, so for pool maintenance stuff, maybe your keywords are going to be a little bit more. Important. Well, for sure. Yeah. You know, so maybe vidIQ is useful for you. And then the other thing that vidIQ will say is very useful is like their, uh, just like their checklist. You know, it's like, did you add yeah. as many tags as possible? Did you put some keywords in the description? Did you blah, 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 blah. I have a checklist and notion for all that. But what about for like end cards or end screens and cards? Like, don't you have like templates built out in vidIQ? I just use that- YouTube's basic import from last video. Oh, that ha- they have that. Yeah. My end screen is just subscribe here, download my ebook here. Yep. Watch one more of my videos here. And then sometimes I'll have like the other podcasts I did, like the last podcast I did there. So I just hit import from last video, which is a YouTube native function. And then I will change the URLs if I need to. So why would you switch from vidIQ to TubeBuddy? You would never go to TubeBuddy. I don't even, I don't know what TubeBuddy's features are. I'm sure okay. it's, it's similar equivalent. to vidIQ. Yeah. But so for me, right? And this is for me, like anybody needs to look at the principles behind anything that someone is talking to them is doing. You know, and this is something that I have to uh, remind people a lot because I'll do like a morning routine video and someone's like, well, that doesn't work for me because my class starts at 6 a.m. So I couldn't I couldn't do all this in the morning. And I'm like, it's not about what I'm doing specifically. It's about the principles behind it. I value this, this and this. If you value them too, figure out how to make them work for you. So for me, it's like, okay, I do videos on these topics Mm -hmm. and I can observe from both what other people are doing, but also from my own experiences, here's what does well. And here's what doesn't have a huge effect. What doesn't have a huge effect is trying to shove like all the most searchable keywords into my titles or trying to have like the most perfectly filled out tag section. What does work is does this make an emotional connection with the viewer? Do they see the thumbnail and immediately think, Oh, I got to know what that's about. Right. You know, that's that makes sense. So you look at Matt's two day rule video like, well, that's really, really pretty and aesthetically pleasing. So it's eye catching. And like we can't we can't discount that first part. Like I've often said, you know, the most important thing is title and thumbnail and the question that it puts in the viewer's head. But actually, the most important thing is, does the thumbnail catch their eyes in the first place or do they glaze right past it? And intrigue. Yeah, it's intrigue. What the fuck is the tool day rule? What's the uh, sales principle? Ada, right? Attention, interest um decision action right so catch their attention get them interested make them make a decision and then get them to take action sure or yeah i think it's something like that 
Yeah. So in terms of YouTube, it's the thumbnail needs to be pretty enough that they actually see it. And I, I've uh, queried myself and I've caught myself doing this. I'm like, you know, spend so much time on title. When I'm scanning the YouTube homepage, I'm never looking at titles first. I'm always looking yeah, at the thumb, pretty pictures. And then I'll yep. look at the title second to see, is this something I'd be interested in watching yeah. and investing my time in? And I do think it matters in the context of what you're doing. Like in your case, or in my case specifically, I guess with, with you know, uh, educational material based on a very searchable term, like, oh, I have a problem. I need a solution. Yes. You know, like uh, any like how to's. Um, but so here's something that um that I've been re- uh, recently realizing. Even for like really technical content like that, mm-hmm. there's going to be a certain part of your audience that it, they will watch one thing from you. And then they're like, well, now I want to know everything about this subject. And I want to yeah. learn it from you because you're entertaining so mm-hmm. good example, this guy on YouTube named uh, Potato Jet. I love oh, yeah, his no, videos. Potato Jet, Potato yeah. Jet is a, he's like the most entertaining camera guy. He is the I most think. entertaining one. He's a little, I've gotten, I've gotten over all of them. I don't watch any of them anymore. I'm so done. Right now I'm watching like all the Potato Jet stuff. I love it. But so it, like I found a video of his on uh, like the Canon C200 versus the Ari Alexa. And like that was, yep. I was curious about that. But then I'm like, well, now I, I just keep seeing all these suggested videos from you but like oh here's a video about uh 24 millimeter versus 50 right. a video about full frame versus APS-C well I like you so I'm gonna watch these because I'm like I don't need that right now but I might need it at some point right. so I could see like maybe like I just got a new pool what I really need to know is how do I get rid of algae I see your video I watch it but then on the sidebar I'm like well damn what are the best robotic pool cleaners I didn't yeah. even care about that but I like your content so I'm kind of curious now yeah, and, and for me, I'm starting with like all of the content that gets uh, traffic on our website first, and then I can start to branch out into like philosophy based like pool yeah. stuff and like some stuff that's like not fun but may not make a ton of money mm-hmm. like for the website or for the book, and it can can get over that part. And so um, I think for me right now, tags and you know end cards and 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 all that stuff well end cards or whatever but tags and like description all that shit really matters for me um because it's really helping with seo for search things but i think eventually it won't and right now i'm using tubebuddy because i was just told by tom martin who like he's like oh vid iq search stuff is not really or they're like seo tools are not really that great we don't know a bunch about them because they're very secretive about it Mm -hmm. and but but then hrefs are not that great either and so for not for YouTube because it's like I just well and not and not for my industry like they are yeah. but my industry is like less than ten searches a month you know for some stuff and I'm like ah I, I feel like I can never find the right thing but when mm-hmm. I use TubeBuddy's keyword search is a little bit better because at least that they're not telling you the the number of searches is saying that oh, this fits your channel or it doesn't fit your channel or it would be easy to rank for but I yeah I'm I'm. I, there was one point where I stopped paying for it because I'm like, oh, I'm not paying $20 a month. Like, what is this really doing for me? And then yeah. quickly I realized, oh, actually, I really liked the end card quick, like the quick adding the end cards, the quick adding cards, the quick add of all the things, right? And, you know, maybe it's something I'll I'll use for now. Maybe I won't. Like, what I really liked about it was I could go to my competitor's video and find out which tags they were using and then just yep. use those tags, you know? So it's like, shit like that was super cool um but now i'm trying to decide whether TubeBuddy or video iq is the right thing Doesn't and i think i free version let you see those tags though yeah then they both do okay um but then there's limitations on what you can do with those and then 
VidIQ is just nicer designed. So I'm like mm. kind of leaning that way a little bit, but we'll see. Um, what are, and you, you, I'd asked you the other day about Rev. Um, yeah. W- w- at what step do you do that? Uh, <laughs> typically I do it after the video is live. Yeah. We have uh, to, if right? I was really organized, I would. Uh, so back when I was really organized, I would have like what I knew was the final cut on uh, frame IO before yeah. the video went live. And then I would link that to rev and have them uh, caption that. Um, but a lot of times like I'm flying by the seat of my pants, getting the video yeah. up right when it needs to go up. So I'll just send that link to rev and put it up later. And that's worked. And fine. you can connect rev right to YouTube. So it's like super easy. Yeah, I haven't done that. Oh, but that's great. I probably even should, upload it for I you. I probably should do that. That would be better. I just am always like wary about letting things connect to my YouTube, but Rev is probably trustworthy. Um, one more thing about YouTube specifically. Uh, comments. How do you yeah, deal with them? I don't. You don't. <laughs> I mean, I have like some filters set up. So like if people put a URL in the comments, it gets blocked automatically. Okay. Um, and it's very annoying about YouTube. They lump in URLs with uh, like timestamps and hashtags. So like, and maybe yeah, they fixed it since saying. then, but like it was, it was annoying because I would get like spammers putting like malware URLs in my comments. So I'm like, all right, all URLs are blocked. But then YouTube would also block anyone being like, oh, I really like this part at one minute, 23 seconds, which is totally legitimate. So I tweeted at YouTube. I'm like, why are you writing code that is, catching you know two different entire groups of user and user intent in your dragnet that doesn't make sense yeah nobody is going onto youtube and putting timestamps in their comments because they're trying to spam that never happens the only people who use timestamps are super fans and you don't respond to any comments no i respond to comments you do but only the ones i feel like okay you'll, you'll hear a lot of people are like oh your comment section is part of your business so you should yes. have a customer service department that responds to every comment nah i'm an artist this is a new kind of thing. Comments, again, it's not useful. Yeah. It's useful for me to make better content. Okay. And I respond to comments when I feel like it. I'll usually try to get in there for like, you know, the first hour or so of a video going live and I'll respond to some comments if I think they're good to respond to. Do you delete assholes? I delete people if they are... <sighs> I have a weird philosophy about this. Okay. If people insult me, yep, I don't delete them because either they have a legitimate criticism, which is fine, yep. or they're just making a fool out of themselves. And I can take it because I'm the person who, have, who has chosen to put myself out on the, on the internet. I'm a pretty confident guy and like, I am emotionally thick skinned enough to realize that if you're spewing toxic waste at me, it's probably coming from a place of toxicity in your own life. Yep. But if I catch somebody and again, I don't go through all my comments because it's a waste of time. But if I catch somebody being an asshole to someone else, then I will sometimes delete them or I will call them out. Yeah. Like there was somebody flip. There was somebody recently who was like, I did this whole folder organization video, like paper yeah. file. And someone was so excited. They were like, Oh, I'm so excited to get organized. Like I'm it's, you know, I'm, I'm so messy. And, uh, someone just responded. Like if, if you learn anything from this video, if like, if you needed to learn from this video, then you're already hopeless. Right. And I just responded like, 
why did you feel the need to say that on a public forum? Like, did you really need to make yourself feel better by putting someone else down? And yeah. they immediately start backpedaling. Of course. So like, cause you got your attention. Yeah. And like, and I you, don't know. So there's a part of me that's like toxicity should be just deleted because I don't want it in my space. But I also think a lot of people get away with, with being shitty on the internet. And sometimes yep. they need to be called the fuck out. Uh, yeah. So I think my, my whole philosophy has been, if it's negative in the very least, you're done. You're deleted. Not mm-hmm. my house. Get the fuck out of my house. And mainly it's because I don't want to encourage others to do it and pile on. I don't yeah. want to encourage that pile on. So like if so, even if they're making fun of me, like I'll, I can handle it. Like, but like, like this guy doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. Or he says water weird. Or he said, you know, like whatever I get, you know, you know, this, this, you know, whatever I get. Um, I'll just delete it. I'll even delete things that like this guy looks like somebody. It's like, all right, like you, you, you provided no value in the comments and you just allowed other people to just pile on. Like, no, actually he, he doesn't look like Mac from sunny or always sunny in Philadelphia. He looks like fucking Danny DeVito, this old fucking piece of shit. Like there's, there's just going to be, and then somebody else will pile on and then somebody else will pile on. And I'm just want to like, I don't want people to come to my videos. And if they do scan the comments, think that this is a place where you can just shit on people and you can just shit on this guy yeah and then it also makes my channel not very authoritative because it's like well he just lets you know people run amok i'm not also i'm also trying to run a educational you know channel not like a joe rogan podcast where like yeah. you're gonna get that sort of toxicness but um that's and what i think I've you're taken. totally within your rights to do that like yeah. people will cry censorship and it's like this is not a public no, forum. Not this is no. my con this is my comment section on my video yeah and you know, there's there's a thin line, right? Because if you're deleting everything, then you're showing yourself to be like emotionally thin skinned. It can look it could be a bad look, but yeah. that there's also like I don't want my comment section filled with toxicity. And I think you have to look at how your own comment section develops. Cause I've noticed like people will not if there's like a if there's a sort of negative comment, it almost never yeah. spawns like a bunch of negative crap. It's just well, like I've person. noticed when I didn't pay attention to it at all for many years, it was, I went back, I had to go back through and I spent like a couple of days just reading awful shit about myself. Oh, was so it really that was, bad? Yeah, it was really bad. And mm-hmm. so I deleted everything. And I, my, and my thought process was going forward, I don't want this. Cause it was just like one person would say something and then the next person would agree. And then, you know, and then it would just like yeah. give people this, this carte blanche to say whatever they wanted to. And I wanted to say, you know, cause I thought comments were going to be important with, for the algorithm. They're not. No. Um, <laughs> and I, and I also I'm thought like, Oh, it's going to make people think that I'm whatever. And I'm like, it's not. And I'm, I'm, I, for the most part, I don't ignore them, but I just promote the ones that are good. You know, if, and if they have a legit question and I'm, I just uploaded it and they like, and I'm still on YouTube, like I'll go and answer a few, but I'm not going to like, you know, spend all my time answering just every single question. Like I will, I'll never get anything done. Yeah. But um yeah i just i just delete it because if it's not helpful for other pool owners then and if it's just like a commentary on like me or the background i just delete it i'm like dude this was why did you spend your time doing this and then it you know like go do something else like we don't have time for this i know i've noticed that uh negative comments like after a while they tend to be at the bottom of the actual youtube page um like i did the video with matt diavella and (laughs) <laughs> like most people really on his it. channel or your channel on my channel on your but channel. a lot of his people came over to see it because he promoted it and most people were like super stoked about it but there was one person who was like uh 
I really like Matt, but I don't like Thomas. He looks shifty. Wow. <laughs> like, I don't, do, do I look shifty or uh, he, he looks shady? That's what it was. Shady. I'm like, I, I'm a pretty shady dude. Like, I'm the yeah. shadiest dude. But uh, I noticed, like, after a day, that comment was like at the bottom. Yeah. Because I was just curious. I'm like, does YouTube do, do anything to like sort out negative sentiment without deleting it? And I think it does. Well, it does because so. everyone else is harding and liking other things. And yeah. those things move up, you know, the hierarchy. And I think That's if you pr- if you promote like if there's a if if somebody comes and reads a bunch of comments and they're all genuine, it's really hard for a troll to be like, well, I'm going to shit in this bed because everybody's super nice. Like, that's not the way they think. They usually yeah. pile on. And so I've just noticed that I've gotten ever since I've done that. I don't get negative comments anymore. They just stopped happening. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, great. Like, I don't have to read shit about myself all the time uh, or anybody else or just like thinking I got something wrong or I still get dislikes. But yeah, I'm fine with that. You know, what are you going to do? Um, it's just it's a scale issue too you know yeah that's true. The point where it's like i don't want to even go to try to pull these comments yeah time too and then fine yeah so finally um and we don't have to go too much on this because uh this is already running pretty long but you just invested in a bunch of equipment yes and what made you feel like you earned it and the reason i asked that earned it yes Yes, the reason I asked that is because I struggle with that specifically. Like, I don't like even though I'm doing YouTube and I'm p- putting out videos and I've done it for four months now consecutively. Um, I still feel like I don't deserve a new camera or I don't deserve a new lens or I don't deserve like I could still make the videos I make with the shit that I have. How do you deal with like oh like it's time to upgrade and i want i'm gonna spend this money especially being the type of person recently who went and trimmed all the fat and is like yeah but you know what i mean it's like that's for me it's like i fired all my people but maddie needs a five thousand dollar camera i trimmed the fat that i didn't want to spend so i don't know like i went to matt's place we did our collab video and he had like Mm -hmm. two canon c200s and i was like damn these are awesome like they can film for more than 29 minutes you know, I could do a really great interview. It looks really nice and yeah. not have to worry about the 29 minute limit. That'd be cool. But man, that's expensive. And then, you know, I was making my morning routine video and I was trying to film the coffee process and my ADD is just not super good in low light. So the footage is pretty grainy and I wasn't really happy with it. And, and no like, slow-mo. And no slow-mo, right? It's like you can do 60 frames. That's it. Yeah. So I was like, you know what? Like, I think part of the reason that Matt's doing really well on YouTube is because his, his footage just looks really, really good. And, you know, I, I came to this realization that, um, and people can challenge me on this, but I think when you're in a high margin business, which I, I think that you and I are like mm-hmm. technically pretty low expenses. If you really had to trim everything. Sure. Of course. Hosting. <laughs> yeah. Right. You could make a lot of money. Um, there is a razor thin margin somewhere. Right. So for for swim, you it is the quality of your articles and how well they are targeted for SEO, because if someone beats you there, no one's going to your site. That's your razor thin margin. Um, I think on YouTube, it is every facet of your content's quality. And I I don't want to I don't want to take such a narrow minded view as say, like the quality of your camera is going to be a determining factor, because, you know, if you have a great camera filming boring content no one's gonna watch it but it is a factor yeah and i'm like i'm not gonna rest on my laurels like part of my thing was get one percent better every time Mm -hmm. all right i've got the money i have money that's just sitting around not doing anything let's put it to work let's let's let's, yeah it's in let's bump the quality up 
Yeah, because it, and it's always been this thing where I I I want to do what I admire. Um, that's why I became a YouTuber and I started watching people like Potato Jet, you yeah. know, like like Mondo Bites, people like them, and I'm like, damn, their footage looks so good. Mm-hmm. Mine should be that good. There's yeah. no reason mine shouldn't be that good. Just because I'm yeah. not a camera guy doesn't mean I can't have like the most crispy, amazing footage on YouTube. Right. I have the money. I have the resources. Let's get the gear and let's do it. Yeah. And if it doesn't add to your process and make things take longer. Oh, it probably I mean? will. A little but bit. I'm but I'm interested not... in it. So, yeah. You know, and I find that if I'm interested in it, it's fine. Yeah. As long as it's not making me miss deadlines or or, you know, get to the point where I'm not making enough income to cover my expenses. Or, but, or you're using it as an excuse as to why not to do a video because it doesn't look as good as it could look. Oh, uh, yeah. You know I, I mean? don't have this crazy cinematic lens here yet. Can't do a video. Can't, do, can't like do that video. before that right. one. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I just I wanted to upgrade. You know, I've been using the same gear for a really long time. And I'm like, I think it'd be really cool to like try to make some really cinematic looking footage. Yeah, it's I think that'd interest be cool of too. mine, you know. And the other thing is I just I had the money. Yep. You know, I've been banking money for for years now. Um, and, you know, I, I invest money in my mutual funds every month, but mm-hmm. not all of it. I kind of do the same thing that I think you do, where I leave a lot of money in the business bank account and like a profit savings account. And, yeah. you know, just didn't really think about it for a long time. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, there's a good amount in there. Let's put it to work. How do we put it yeah. to work? Yeah. And I, think I mean, I'm, I'm just, starting to, I'm starting to take that 50% mm-hmm. of that every quarter, but then there's still that you know, 50% left. And so, yeah, it, it but doesn't, my, my personal expenses aren't high enough. And I know you want to sure. buy a house soon. And at yeah. some point I'll buy a house too, but I'm not in a rush. Like I'm pretty happy where I am. Yeah. I cover my rent pretty well. And it's like, all right, I can make the numbers go up in my mutual fund and they could, you know, make interest or, yep. you know, the best investments I've ever made have been in my business. Sure. So, yep. and I really don't want to grow my team right now. Yeah. That's smart. I don't want to do that. So it's like, well, then I can make investments in better tools. Yeah, to increase the content sure. quality. All the things. Thanks for coming on, man. For sure. This uh, is a we'll pretty to... damn long episode. <laughs> no, nah, yeah. I mean, I figured it would be. We'll have to do it That's again. Because cool. I, d- I definitely want to cover two things, like the the rise and like the burnout, the recovery from burnout, and then the entire process. You know, it's yeah. like a two-part. So, um, yeah, thanks for coming on. And obviously, you're welcome to come on anytime. For sure. you are always on. So, uh, uh, I want to thank... Thomas, for joining me on this episode of Money Lab. Where can people find you? Where do you want people to go? Uh, YouTube.com slash Thomas Frank. That's it? That uh, Yeah. I mean, I'm Tom Frankly on most other platforms. <laughs> and collegeinfogeek.com if you're College interested in that. if you want to read some articles. But yeah, I mean, I, I have all my links in my About tab on YouTube, so that works just fine. Yeah, cool. Uh, I also want to thank... Scott Rickens from Playing With Fire for sending in my new middle name, B to Wanna Be, which was like, uh, get it, get it, be to B to B business, B to Wanna Be. Cool. So uh, head over to moneylab.co to read more about our business experiments and challenges and email Matt at moneylab.co with topics you'd like us to discuss on future episodes of the show. And while you're at it, feel free to send me a new middle name suggestion. If you like this show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Player FM, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or wherever you normally listen to podcasts. And when you do, please leave a review. Okay, that's it. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Please tell your friends about this show. 